in the book of Matthew chapter 4. We're going to find our text of emphasis today at verse 5. Amen. Amen. At verse 5. And would everyone stand for the reading of God's word? Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 5. You will find these words. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Verse 7 says, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. This afternoon, I just want to speak with you for a few moments from the thought. Don't go down like that. Don't go down like that. When we look at this fourth chapter of Matthew, so far we have been introduced to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil. And it's interesting that it's during a time when Jesus physically would be at his weakest. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. On last week, we saw how the devil went at his weakest point, which was his physical hunger, and tried to get Jesus to make bread out of stones. But Jesus did not rely on how his physical body was feeling, but he relied on the word. And so he responded from an Old Testament text, Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we found that when we're in a battle with the enemy, we can't battle them with our use of words and our flowery terms or even our good Jones, but we have to deal with him with scripture. Satan ain't scared of nothing else but God's word. Amen. And so on today, as we begin to unpack verses 5, 6, and 7, The first point I want to bring out is that Satan will lift you high to watch you fall and die. Satan will lift you high just to watch you fall and die. Last week, I reminded us that Satan is not here just to play patty cake. He's not here 
to slap you on the shoulder or to cut your hair. Uh -huh. But he's here to kill you. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes, he, did. he wants to see all of us six foot deep. Nine. Satan is all about his business, too. And so he is setting up situations in our lives as we move along in this thing we call life mm. to get us to fumble and most of all to ultimately die. So we see in this temptation, the first thing that Satan does once again is that he points at who Jesus is. Mm. If you notice in verse 5, first, the devil takes him up to a high place. Mm. He takes him up to Jerusalem. And, and the Bible tells us, and extra biblical text says, all roads lead up. To Jerusalem. Jerusalem was at a high place. And so imagine the devil taking Jesus to a place that's already at a higher elevation than all other cities around it. But imagine him not only going there, but going to the temple and now at the pinnacle of the temple. So at that time, Jesus could look out among all the nations in the world. He could see so clearly all of those things. And after all, he's in the holy city. And that lets us know that the devil is not afraid to come to church. Some of us think when we walk through them doors that our temptations and our trials are over with just because we walk into the sanctuary. Satan ain't scared of that. Satan very well may have walked in with some of you. You never know when Satan can walk in with me. Or oh, Reverend Stevens. Because he's not afraid of walking through those doors. And as a matter of fact, if you were a lion going for your kill, wouldn't you like to be where the most food is? I mean, it said the Bible teaches that he's a roaring lion seeking for whom he may devour. And whom he wants to devour is God's sheep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in any congregation that has assembled together, there's a lot of good eating here Amen. for Satan. Amen. So don't ever be fooled in believing that just because you're in the sanctuary, that Satan is afraid to come in. Amen. Because he tries to make himself at home. The Bible teaches back in Job that when the assembling of the sons of God, Satan was in the midst. Do you not know that Satan still has access to heaven? He's going to and fro, seeking whom he may what? Devour. Don't forget that the enemy is in the place where you even look for refuge. So you must always be alert because evil is always present. Now, looking at our text as well, we look and we see that Satan once again says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, always throwing it back up 
of who Jesus is and trying to get Jesus to get out of pocket. Trying to get Jesus to do something that he doesn't have any business doing. And he hits him at, well, if you are the son of God, then you ought to be able to do this or do that. It's not so different than what people do with us. Well, I thought you were a Christian. You ought to do this and you ought to do that. A lot of times, folks trying to get you out of pocket for their own desire. That's all Satan was trying to do for Jesus. Satan wanted Jesus out of the way. And folks will use you and try to use your Christianity, your position in Christ against you to get you to do things that you ain't got no business doing. It may even sound good. Now see, watch this, y'all. Look at the text. It may even sound good. Look what Satan did. Satan in verse 6, he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan knows scripture too, y'all. He ain't just floating out in the ethers. He knows the word as well. Been around a long time. A good student of the word too. And that leads me to my next thought is that Satan is a master user of scripture out of context. He uses scripture not for what it means, but what he can use it in order to get a means to get what he wants done. But that's not so different than other folks may do too. If you look at the and I just, someone was just talking about the other day, the name it and claim it Amen. theology, Amen. if you will. Yeah, yeah. They used a passage in Romans and they only used a part of the scripture to say that we were able to speak things that are not as if they were. That was a passage in Romans that God spoke Not Abraham, but God speaks those things that are not as though they were. But they took out the part where God said it, and they talked about Abraham and then said, because Abraham could, you can. The devil is more cunning than any other beast of the field. I said that last week. Can you see how he can even make it sound good using scripture, but it's out of what? Context. He's more cunning than any other beast in the field. Looking at verse 6, the scripture is out of context. And he doesn't use a whole passage together. He got a bit and then another bite. The bits and bites that he's gotten from here comes from Psalm 91. Which starts out, he that dwells under the shadow of the mighty, he said, in the secret place. Mm -hmm. That that, that God would take care of them and that this time that he was dealing with was a time in which Israel was getting ready for battle. 
And the Lord was encouraging Israel to know that when they go to battle for the Lord, that he would be with them because they're obedient, that they would be under the shadow of the Almighty, that they would be dwelling in that secret place and that all of the protection that God would have with them would be for them in this battle. But look at what Satan has done with this text. He's taken the text and he's plucked out pieces and he's tried to make a direct application to Jesus. And that is not what this text meant in his Old Testament context in the first place. So I'm saying this to you today, children of God, because you got to know scripture in its context. You can't just jackrabbit around scripture and get a text here and get a text there and try to get a promise without a context just because you read some. You got to know the whole counsel of the word. Because if you do not, Satan will send those to trip you up. Because Satan got a whole army of folks out there who are smart, intelligent folks that can use scripture against you can use it out of context and make it sound oh so right but when you as the child of God spend time in the word getting the whole counsel in his context then you are able to battle because you know when a counterfeit looms on the horizon one of the other tricks of the devil today is trying to get us as Christians to spend too much time trying to learn everybody else's religion See, that's a problem because the world tries to make us believe we've got to be so well-versed in everybody else's stuff. Everybody else's religion, whatever it is, we got to know the intricacies. But I'm telling you, that's a trick of the devil. Because the devil knows if you spend too much time in the word of God, that any time a counterfeit shows up, you will immediately be able to determine he is. But when you're dibbling and dabbling in all these different religions, Satan is constantly creating more. Me and Brother Williams, Brother, Brother Jimmy, we talk about a new religion, if you will, that's come on the scene. There's, there's always new religions popping up. And so if we run jackrabbit and everywhere trying to keep up with that, we won't be able to know anything about the word. But the best apologetic against all kinds of of apostasy, all kinds of evil doing and all kinds of bad doctrine is to know your own religion, to know your own doctrine better than anybody else. So I'm saying to us, let us focus on learning the word, the whole council, the whole 66 books of the Bible as much as we can so that we're stronger about our own word than anybody else. Because then we'll be able to say, counterfeit, stamped, move on. Amen? Amen. So we see in our text, my third point is that just as I was saying to know our scriptures well enough that we can see a counterfeit when he looms on the horizon. Look at verse 7 and look what Jesus said. Jesus said to Satan, He said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, at face value, when you read those words, a lot of times because we know this is Jesus, 
we'll say, yeah, that's right. But we really don't understand what Jesus was saying to Satan. We hear it, but then we really don't understand because if we just leave it there and we look at the translation of what the word tempt means, it means to test. And so we say, no, we are not to test the Lord. But then we run into a difficulty in interpreting scripture when we look at Malachi 3 and 10. Because God says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there be meat in my house. And then he says, what? And prove me now herewith, says the Lord, if I'm not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there be not be room enough to receive it. That word prove in that Old Testament context talks about testing the Lord. So now we got a problem if we just leave it like it is because we say, well, wait a minute. The Lord himself, God said in Malachi 3 to test him. But then Jesus says in Matthew 4, don't test him. But then when we begin to look closer, we find that Jesus is referring to an Old Testament scripture. And we find the scripture that he's referring to is Deuteronomy 6. He's inside Deuteronomy 6 where God through Moses is reminding the people about a kind of testing that they did with God. And they reminded them of back during the Exodus when they were in a place called Massa. They were in this place called Massa and the Israelites had gotten thirsty. And so they wanted something to drink and they looked around and they didn't see anything to drink. And so they began to grumble. They began to mumble. They began to contend and fuss with Moses. They began to talk about Moses, you brought us out here to thirst and to die. Oh, how things were so much better when we were back in our sin in Egypt. They didn't say it like that in our sin, but they said going back in Egypt, which basically means we liked it better when we was back there in sinful Egypt. So they were were testing uh, Moses for improper and ulterior motive. See, what they wanted to do is catch God up in something through Moses so that they would have excuse to go back and live like the devil. Back in Egypt. Now that is the context at which Jesus is using this scripture to tell the Satan who knows very well that he knows that Satan has an ulterior motive why he wants him to jump off of there and let the angels catch him. And he's saying, don't you tempt the Lord God. You got an evil ulterior motive behind him and don't even try it. And so that's what this text is saying to us. When we are going through the issues of life, we know we haven't done what we were supposed to do for the Lord. And now we've run ourselves into a situation where we're uncomfortable. Maybe we're short on our money. Maybe we're short on something that we think we ought to have. But we haven't been so right about the Lord, but then we began to mumble and grumble, talking about, I don't even think the Lord hears my prayers. We began to test 
the Lord because we want God to do for us what we want him to do, not what he wants to do for us. See, we start to get selfish about this thing. Tempt not the Lord your God. Because we never need to forget that trials come only to make us strong if we trust the Lord. But if we decide that we don't want to go through and we want our comforts and that we're going to twist things with God in order to get God to do for us what we want him to do, we're tempting the Lord. Talking about, well, I, you know, I thought the Lord was going to be there for me and I prayed and he ain't done nothing. I, my water's still off. Huh? I still ain't got a job. Really? Do you know what the plan for the Lord is for you? Or you just want him to go to your every whim, to whatever you want to do. That is tempting the Lord. But the Bible lets us know that the proper response is to go through. Trusting that the Lord will see us through. The Bible says count it all joy. When we go through Diverse temptation. It said, count it all joy when we have tribulations and we have troubles. Count it all joy because God is working for our good. Count it all joy because tribulation produces patience. And patience produces character. The kind of character that looks like the Son of God. The kind of character that God is well pleased. Do you not know that Philippians chapter 2 allows us to see that suffering is a blessing? I don't know about you, but I don't like the way it feels. But I know it's working for my good. It's like when I was a little kid and daddy told me to eat that broccoli. Uh I didn't like the way it tastes, but I knew it was good for me. So I didn't want to get myself torn up. So I began to eat and eat that broccoli. Every bite was tough and bitter, but I knew it was for my good. Every round of the trials in life may be bitter and distasteful for you, but don't forget, saints, that it's working for your good. So keep on running in the Lord and don't you get weary and well doing it may look tough it may look difficult but God will see you through Jesus Christ went through some trials and tribulations those that we will never experience ourselves he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying for you and me And at one point in the garden, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But he was obedient even to the cross. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, 
they took him down off that cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. Somebody may be asking today, why a borrowed tomb? Because Jesus wasn't going to be there very long. He was in that grave all night Friday. He was in that grave all day Saturday. He was in that grave all night Saturday night. But it was early, oh so early, he got up with all power in his hand. Yes, he did. And that same Jesus is living today and he's interceding for you and for me. Because after a 40 day layover, he stepped out on a cloud and went back to glory. Now seated at the right hand of the Father. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. And at this time, I want to open the doors of the church. Because there may be somebody here today. May have been around church a long time. But really, really hasn't got Jesus in their hearts. Have gotten comfortable with the day-to-day activities of church. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, coming in the church but never letting the church inside of them. Right. Today, I invite you, and Jesus most of all invites you to let him live in you. Right. He's knocking on the door of your hearts, and if you will let him in, he will sup with you. Right. Don't try to play church, but let the Lord be in you and manifest himself in you, change you into the person he wants you to be. Stop trying to do it on your own because this is something you can't do on your own. Christ has to do it in you. That's where we are today so you can come today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus just now, just now. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus just now. He will save you. Amen.